where a student protest at Manning University exploded into violence involving Captain America, after atomic expert Paul Fosgrave was attacked. Meanwhile, civil rights leader, Pedro Luis Lopez, has been shot in New York City, which has been rocked by even more turbulence. New York, already reeling from a crime wave led by. This can't be right. Ah. Crime wave? In any case, New York has seen a rampage by the Wrecker and Thor, and an attack by the Hulk at the Midtown Baxter building. The nearby streets of Flushing, Queens, have been terrorized by a being identified by some as Lucifer and by others as security guard Charlie Gray. And, in South America, the leaders known only as the General and El Capitan have both been killed in an explosion, the accursed Richards family's co-conspirator the Silver Surfer has been implicated in the deadly event. This is Doombot TS-31 for the VOL. Zero. Two. One. This is the voice of Latveria. Zero. Two. One. Here in Latveria, we get news from all over the world. The news may be good or bad, but we will always tell you the truth, as Lord Doom sees it. Every week on The Voice of Latveria, we examine Marvel Comics history, through the career of its greatest hero, Dr. Victor Von Doom. And now, here's your host, Douglas Walk, the man who has read every Marvel superhero comic book, and lived to tell us all about it. Thank you, Doombot and D14. Our guest this week is Brian Stratton from one of my favorite podcasts. Brian, welcome. Thank you so much for coming over from Marvel by the Month, which is your usual haunt, which I've been lucky enough to join you on a few times. Can you uh, tell the, uh, the the viewers out there in, in TV land or podcast land uh, <laughs> a little about Marvel by the Month for, for people who have not experienced it before? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and thank you so much for having me. Uh, this is a blast. I, I'm oh, a huge right. fan of uh, Voice of Latveria. Um, and uh, yeah, Marvel by the Month uh, is a podcast where uh, each episode uh, we talk about one month uh, in the history of Marvel Comics. So uh, I record it with my uh, my co-host, Rob Milne, who is a former Voice of Latveria guest as well. Um, and uh, yeah, so we started with uh, you know August 1961. Uh, we go by newsstand dates of releases. Um, and uh, each episode since then has been the next month uh, in Marvel Comics. Um, so we are up to about mid-1969 right now. Um, so uh, yeah, it's it's been quite a trip, and uh, it's always fun to have you on uh, because since you know you, you with, with everything you did to prepare for uh, the writing of all of the Marvels, uh, I I feel like uh, you are one of the only people in the world who can understand uh, sort of the the pleasure and the pain of reading every single <laughs> <laughs> Marvel superhero comic. Yeah, uh, there's there's a little of both in there. So uh, what we're looking at today uh, is. One comic that is from right about where you are right now. It's a little. It's a little bit later. It is in fact cover dated December 1969, and that's a Submariner number 20. And then a little later, we're going to be talking about a comic that actually technically happens a little bit before this, and we should have done a couple episodes ago, but you know, <laughs> uh, not not quite. Uh, which is uh, the Rise of the Black Panther number four, where Doom also puts in the appearance, which is it's. It's said a little early, but we'll we'll we will get to that in due time. For right now, we have a uh, submariner number twenty, which is not the first meeting and not the last of 
Submariner and Doctor Doom, who are a combination that Roy Thomas really, really seems to like putting together. Yeah, it's a great combination. Uh, as, as I was reading this, uh, I, I was kind of struck by the fact that this is only the second time that these two have shared a, a story uh, in the Marvel Universe, you know, it, in publishing chronology. Um, for some reason, I had thought for sure that they had interacted several times before this, but really it's, it's just been fantastic for number six. Uh, and then what, six years later, we finally uh, have them cross paths again. Um, yeah. Cause they just seem like such a natural pairing um, where, you know, they, they, they have so much in common, uh, but they also have these very acute differences um, that just create some wonderful tension. And it's no surprise that uh, Roy Thomas loves putting them together again and again. Well, Roy Thomas loves anything that has Namor in it, period. Yes. But, uh, so he's got, uh, there's John Buscema is drawing it, and Johnny Craig, who I know mostly as an EC horror artist from the 50s, is the inker on this, and really be very, very faithful to the look of uh, Buscema's artwork. It looks very much like the stuff that uh, John Buscema has inked of his own, of his own drawings. Uh, and so it, it starts with Namor monologuing like somebody uh th there's a line about he's doing the hamlet bit and in fact he is soliloquizing and quoting hamlet <laughs> of course because uh roy thomas as we uh, often mention on marvel by the month uh wants everyone to make sure he wants to make sure that uh everyone knows that he went to college uh there was a uh and that he was an english teacher yes exactly uh he uh he wrote uh, an issue of Avengers very recently where we're at. I, I can't remember the number. I think it might be 64 around there. Uh, it features the return of Egghead. Um, and uh, he really leans into the Egghead uh, moniker and has him quoting Shakespeare, uh, basically almost every panel he appears in. There's at least eight or nine Shakespeare quotes in this 20 page issue. So uh, yeah, he, he, uh, he loves going back to the Bard if he can. He goes to Homer too. He uh, talks about, I'd hoped to live at peace until I could return to the wine dark depths. Yes. So it, it's really just the opening scene is just Namor being dramatic and getting chased by an army. Yeah. As, as he, uh, well, you know, it's understandable uh, that he would wind up in that position. I, I, I don't remember the, or I haven't not read uh, the immediate context for this. Uh, there, there's something has happened where he has lost his ability to be underwater. His gills have been sealed shut. So, and he's lost his, his tiny little wing power of flight. Um, so he's, he's stuck on land and he's kind of exiled from Atlantis uh, because of this. Um, and the army's chasing him, but you know, dude, you invade the surface world. You know, even once, uh, you should expect this reaction. And he's done that more than once. And pretty much wrecked New York, you know, back at some point in the, in the 40s. Like, they still haven't totally forgiven him for that. Sure. Uh, but so he's running, and all of a sudden, uh, there's a locked metal gate that he runs up to that suddenly opens and lets him in. And, whoa, it's the Latverian embassy. Yes, yes. And, uh, and you know, Namor is not aware of this at first. Uh, it's just really a, uh, if I can use a nautical uh, reference it's an any port in the storm situation um <laughs> and uh yeah it, and it's it's funny um because you know it's sort of played as this great mystery of you know 
who could be behind all of this? Um, and, and, you know, and Thomas tries to obscure this for a few pages. Um, but I mean, you know, Dr. Doom is on the cover of this issue. There, there's yeah. very little mystery here. <laughs> and Doom, uh, of course, immediately attacks him with a robot. Yeah. Because he has to fight a robot because, yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of that going around in the uh, the late 60s uh, Marvel comics, especially if you wind up uh, encountering Dr. Doom. Eventually, after he you know, trashes the robot, Doom shows up, introduces himself, and uh, tries to you know, make nice with Namor and pour him a drink. Yes. Uh, it, and what Namor really wants uh, is water uh, because his strength has been sapped from him um, and uh, he, he's... He's getting more and more weary. Um, and uh, it, this turns into a little bit of a cat and mouse. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, smashing a robot will take a lot out of you. But so <laughs> uh, Doom is trying to pour him a glass of wine or uh, a goblet of wine, rather. And Nemor does the straight edge thing and just whacks it out of his hand. <laughs> yes, he does. Yep. Uh, and then, of course, that leads into a, a big eruption between these two. Um, and I think this is, you know, one of the things I really love about uh, the, the pairing of uh, Namor and Doom is that, you know, superficially, um, they, they seem to have a lot in common, um, but, you know, they inevitably are going to find themselves in opposition uh, for their similarities as much as their differences. Um, you know, I mean, they are both royalty. They both have a very healthy ego um, um, and they both see themselves as being in the right at all times. So, right. um, you know, uh, if, if either one of them uh, believes that the other one is disrespecting him in some way, uh, you know, it, it leads to this sort of, um, you know, the rock and Vin Diesel chest puff, uh, chest puffing. Um, and uh, yes, it's, uh, it, but Doom to his credit does try to calm things down uh, and move forward uh, because he has some ulterior motives here, of course. Uh, he, he also does a flashback to the first Fantastic Four annual and Namor's attempted invasion of New York and uh, proposes an alliance as uh, Doom occasionally does propose an alliance with people. We, we A few weeks ago, we saw someone else. We saw Diablo proposing an alliance with him. You don't yes. propose an alliance with Doom. Doom proposes an alliance with you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he, he likes to be in the driver's seat at all times. Namor replies that, why would I want to join forces with you? Uh, the vast oceans cover more than half this planet, and I desire no more from my people. Interestingly, he's still using this argument to this day. Like last week's, last week's uh, Planet Size X-Men, he says basically the same thing. Uh, <laughs> I've got 70% of this planet. What do I want with Krakoa? What do you have? An, an island? Uh, <laughs> that does backfire on him, but... Uh, He's again like, can you get me a glass of water? Can you be a good host here? Yes, yes, and and I have to say, yeah, you know, we are recording uh, this episode in the middle of uh, a historic heat wave uh, yes. here in Portland. Um, so uh, reading uh, Namor's, you know, I wouldn't say desperate please because he would disagree with that characterization but uh you know he he's a real thirsty boy um and uh in, in with the environment that we have going on outside right now uh, it just kind of drove that point home really clearly so we kind of cut away from this to a scene with triton going to atlantis and talking to dorma mm -hmm. and it, kind of apropos of nothing but uh, <laughs> We, we eventually sort of 
end this kind of cutaway scene with a, a little dissolve effect courtesy of Buscema. And we're back at the Latverian embassy where the ambassador who works for Doom is saying like, you know, you really should not keep the Submariner a prisoner here. It's not going to look good. And Doom does not like getting disagreed with. He says that you you exist but to obey my commands and obey them you shall without qualm or question or an unmarked grave shall be your sole pension what a great line uh that just such a such a doom line um and just really chewing the scenery um for all it's worth uh why do, I, why do people write for doom doesn't he do this to his staff all the time you'd think he'd have some turnover <laughs> well yeah uh i mean i think well as we saw when the fantastic four visited latveria uh it's kind of a, a tricky place to leave uh if you decide you've had enough so uh you know um maybe uh, a a position in the uh, American embassy uh, in Latvia's American embassy might be uh, just, you know, as close as you're going to get to a little bit of freedom uh, from your monarch. I, one of the things I really liked about this story is that uh, I think I, I won't say that it's uh, entirely accurate when it comes to uh, issues of uh, diplomatic immunity uh, and international <laughs> relations, but it's much closer than we have seen. Uh, when when the army refuses to chase Namor into the Latvian embassy, you know they cite the diplomatic immunity, and and that I think is much closer to how diplomatic immunity actually works uh, than we have seen in the past. Yeah, not, I can do anything and get away with it because I have diplomatic immunity. No, right. no, that's, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, D Doom actually has a plan, which involves, curiously for Doom, being a terrible host. Yes, which is not his MO. I mean, he it's takes- really not, no. Yeah, he takes a great deal of pride. I, you know, and and I think one of the things that's really interesting about Doom, especially contrasted to Namor, um, is that, uh, you know, uh, Namor was born into his his station, uh, and he is an aristocrat basically. Uh, whereas Doom is, you know, he he is a self made monarch, um, and and really a revolutionary. But he he just wants to prove that. He can do this as well as, you know, the, the old heads of state uh, in Europe. Um, and, you know, he, he really enjoys, uh, I mean, the performance aspect of it, of course, but um, really just uh, rolling out the red carpet, the largesse. He, he loves putting on uh, the show, uh, like as we saw um, again, when the FF came to Latveria for the first time, uh, he, he makes the, the big deal of hosting uh Crystal and uh, Sue Richards um, when they make their way into his castle uh, and and really subverting their expectations about what they're going to find there uh, when they finally reach Doom. Uh, and here he's he's doing the exact opposite. He is doing anything but giving his guest what he wants, which is water. He in fact commands his staff to get all the water out of the Latvian embassy. You know, turn yes. off <laughs> turn, turn off the pipes. Uh, take all the fire extinguishers out because apparently like fire extinguishing foam has some water in it. Um, like, dump out all the ice cubes. Down to uh, the ice cubes. Yeah. <laughs> because, you know, if you leave any of those lying around long enough, uh, eventually, you know, Namor might get just the slightest bit of uh, re rejuvenation from it. Now I'm assuming that Doom has a wine cellar in the embassy that has to be the envy of everything around it 
and we don't see him trashing his his you know, liqueur collection, his his wine <laughs> wine collection. But he has to has to be doing that too. Doom drinks enough fine wine that that has to be a real sacrifice for him. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Although you know, we also saw uh, Namor slapping the the goblet out of his gauntlet earlier. So you know, maybe yeah. he's he's confident enough that uh, you know Namor is not going to mess with the wine, even you know, in his desperate condition. Right. Because, you know, he's the straight-edge submariner. Right. Um, so, so his plan is to keep Nemo imprisoned and not give him any water unless he agrees to turn over his army to Doom. Yeah. Which, you know, always negotiate from a position of strength, right? That, it, you know, it doesn't go well. <laughs> um, like, you, you, you have to think, like, you're negotiating with a fellow head of state yeah you uh, it's just just bad negotiation tactics you don't try to come up with you as they say you, your uh your batna your best alternative to a negotiated agreement <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah it well and and you know it, you you can you could legitimately ask the question did doom ever really expect Namor to you know to accept his offer I mean what what really is doom trying to get at here uh, I, I think is one of the the questions that I had reading the story because you know I, if, if he thought Namor was going to turn over the armies of Atlantis to him um, for for a glass of water you know I mean he's he's familiar with how proud uh, you know he, he Namor is is as proud as doom is and doom would never you know, agree to something like that, especially, you know, uh, if he felt he was being humiliated at the same time. So, uh, you know, this, this feels, uh, really that, you know, doom, uh, is either trying to find an excuse, uh, to eliminate a rival, um, or, you know, he's just, you know, he, he's just decided that he's going to humiliate the submariner. Um, and, uh, yeah. Uh, it, it, it's it's interesting uh, to say the least. Given especially how close they become again a few yeah. years down the line, like this this is not this is not a promising beginning of a, a an ongoing diplomatic relationship. They have a they have a very dysfunctional relationship. I I, I mean they they're like uh, a couple of people who you know uh, they, they they'll hook up. They have a, a brief but intense relationship. Uh, then a, an apocalyptic falling out. Uh, they'll go their separate ways for a while, you know, each one considering the other one toxic, uh, they'll uh, eventually forget why they split up um, and they'll get back together and just repeat the cycle. Uh, I mean, they, they're really both in need of counseling. Yeah. And sadly, what they get instead of counseling is uh, an army of mercenaries electronically summoned by Dr. Doom. <laughs> yes. Yep. Uh, uh, yeah, just a, a bunch of brutes. Um, and, uh, you know, earlier in, in, uh, on the page before, uh, uh, you know, doom is, is, um, he, he's taunting, uh, Namor, um, you know, saying your vaunted strength is now no more than I might enlist with a carnival strong man as my ally. Um, and then, uh, you know, the, the crowd of ruffians, uh, that shows up uh, on the next page. I mean, it seems like doom may have already been recruiting some, uh, carnival strong men. I, it wouldn't be the first time, you know, <laughs> I, I mean, the, the terrible trio was basically, uh, <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and of course, you know, this is Marvel comics, uh, in the sixties. So, you know, anyone affiliated with a carnival is automatically a, a bad guy, you know, right. and, and, and suspect, uh, you know, car carnivals and, and movie studios. Those are the, the two, uh, 
guaranteed um, you know traps for the heroes. But one of the, one of the mercenaries is armed with a blaster of some kind that looks like a gun, but he's not. Of course. Um, which Doom has said, like, oh yeah, uh, that blast will kill anybody. But of course, it it only makes Submariner more annoyed. Uh, he gets off a very good bah. Bah, he fainted, and it is just <laughs> as well. It would only demean me to strike one so debased. And he's like, all right, so uh, am I going to chase Doom or am I going to get out of here? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to get out of here. Yeah. Um, but no, there, there's there's still some more fighting to go on because uh, I, he, Doom has somehow turned his staircase into a slip and slide. Yeah. Uh, this is another, uh, Roy Thomas, uh, motif that shows up, uh, again and again, there's, there's an issue of X-Men, uh, early on that Thomas wrote, uh, where, uh, I think it's the second appearance of the juggernaut, um, who, uh, in stark contrast to, uh, the juggernaut we know and love today, uh, he, he sneaks into the X mansion, um, while the, the, X kids are away uh, and he sets all these traps, including a staircase that turns into a slide uh, because, you know, you've got the, huh. the power of a God. Uh, but uh, really what's more fun is just to, you know, turn their entire school uh, into a, a carnival funhouse. Namor surprised by this uh, picks up a chair and tries to throw it through a window to get out, but the window has bars on it. It's mm-hmm. like, it's old New York trick. Right. <laughs> Smash the window. It's not going to do you any good. It's got bars. Yep. Uh, he can't get through the bars because there's some Roy Thomas alliteration, which is very different from Stanley alliteration. Mm-hmm. Roy Thomas alliteration is like, look again, my pure but perishable prince. <laughs> alliteration for no particular reason. That's yeah. Uh, but it, it is a metal, which even you could not bend. Yes. What metal is yeah okay fine go with it yeah we, uh, we we haven't invented adamantium yet right that hasn't shown up but i mean it seems no, like that's no. that would have been the go-to you know had we you know come to the story five or ten years later right uh, but uh so they keep fighting uh doom gets the bar this time saying he wearies of this cat and mouse game <laughs> uh this time he's got heat, heat rays which is this is departure for doom he doom normally likes ice rays Oh, he true. Likes freezing people, but mm-hmm. but he's got a heat ray too because that uh, that's what's effective here. He once again demands the Atlantean armies. Mm-hmm. The Atlantean armies are real hard to control. Yeah, even right? uh, they're, they're yeah, Na- Namor most of the time uh, has trouble controlling his own armies. Um, yeah. You know, Warlord Krang is always taking them over, but no, uh, he won't give them up. And uh, he somehow, despite not being able to break the bars of the, uh, the that are over the window, snaps the metal hose, the flexible metal hose that the flamethrower is pointing at him. Right. Which which seems trickier. Uh, <laughs> which sets the embassy on fire. Yep. Which they can't put out because they have no water and they got rid of the fire extinguisher, which we assume are chemical fire extinguishers, right? We we but, assume, yeah. Uh, it, also, we uh, have a, a rare moment where uh, Doom reproaches himself on the last page, yeah. saying, Fool that I am. I never suspected uh-huh. that Namor would turn the structure into a blazing inferno. So, that, yeah, I mean, I, D- Doom admitting... Uh, 
that he got outsmarted by someone uh, is, is it is a very I never thought leopards would eat my face kind of moment. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's it. At this point, the fire department arrives and uh, aims their fire hose through the windows of the embassy because apparently that's not covered by diplomatic immunity. <laughs> you can't bring a torrent of water to uh, you know the inter international uh, criminal courts. So uh, yeah, it, it's uh, it, it's a great strategy. Um, you know, and it it is defensible. Like you can see the firemen clearly they are not on the grounds uh they just they have an elevated bucket with a hose and they are spraying water into you know uh so i guess maybe there's some plausible deniability there it's like oh you know we didn't know that we were interfering with affairs of state we were just trying to put out a fire that's what we do so the water comes in it hits the submariner he immediately flies away uh because now he's strong enough doom decides he uh he can't attack the firemen without violating diplomatic immunity Right. Very nice. Yep. Good use of law. <laughs> uh, and uh, Namor immediately starts monologuing and posing again. Yes, of course. Yep. As he was doing before, he was so rudely interrupted by the plot. <laughs> you know, you get the feeling uh, if, if nothing ever intervened, uh, this is just how Namor would spend about 18 hours a day. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and also the, uh, the bit where he escapes from the embassy, it is a rare, uh, uh, moment where uh busema um kind of forgets uh a bit of the plot uh that was established early on which right. is namor can't fly so roy covers it up um uh with the the copy saying thank ne uh, thank neptune i have enough power to leap um and so that's yes. how we uh we we cover that um even though he's he's clearly soaring out of the building but you know we'll let it go from this we're going to jump forward decades to Rise of the Black Panther number four, where we get to see Doom's interaction with yet another monarch. Yes. Shala, the Black Panther. Uh, so Rise of the Black Panther was a miniseries that uh, my friend Evan Narcisse wrote, uh, drawn by Javier Pina, set during the period when the world was just finding about Wakanda. Mm -hmm. So somewhere between Black Panther's first appearance and it, it ends right before Tales of Suspense, like 97 to 99, which is the, that Black Panther and Captain America story. So we're getting to it a little late. Forgive us, listeners. <laughs> it happens sometimes. Since Doom has an ongoing habit of appearing in the final panel of uh, any issue before the one where he really appears at the end of number three, Chala comes back to Wakanda and appears to find Dr. Doom sitting on the Wakandan throne. Mm -hmm. Like you do. Yes. Um, Another great Doom trope. Um, the first time you see Dr. Doom in a story, it's often not Dr. Doom. And that's the case in this story. Uh, it's a Doom bot. Yeah. Uh, as we find out, as Chala blows up his own throne. Yes. Yeah. Uh, this is... Um, I, I love this story. This story is really uh, it. It is a series of uh, Doom and Chala trying to one up each other. Uh, which is it? it yeah. there, there's at least six or seven moments where you know one of them says or does something, and the other one immediately tries to trump it. Um, so you know what what happens when you see someone you know sitting on your throne who's not supposed to be there? Well, you blow up the throne. Uh, you know it's like I'm not going to give a, an inch of ground uh, to this. 
he of course then says like, oh, is a doom bot? My senses didn't detect there was any human life under the armor. Uh, we can always build another throne as he right. tells Shuri. Shuri shows up in the story despite having not shown up until comics many years later because Shuri must have been around at this point. She's her sister. Chella continues to kind of analyze what he can find of Doom's armor because he's the technical genius that he is. There's a whole subplot here involving uh, uh, both Eric, uh, who we will come to know as Killmonger later on, and uh, Jadaka. Uh, and the White Wolf, who is a character who was introduced way down the line in the amazing Christopher Priest run of yes. Black Panther. Yes. Um, but uh, as as for the Doom part, there, there's there's a lot more going on in Wakanda. But eventually, midway through the story, but uh, page eleven looks like on Marvel Unlimited here, the Black Panther and Doom meet again. Mm-hmm. They have not really encountered each other before. This is a diplomatic meeting where Latveria has welcomed you know, visitors from Wakanda and Doom immediately says, I sent for King Chella of Wakanda. Why do a masked man and a woman stand before me? Yes. Oh, yeah. He doesn't realize that the masked Black Panther is in fact the person with whom he's got the appointment. Yes. And then uh, we, we get uh, another of these um you know, one-upping uh, right. scenes where uh, Chala, uh, he he removes the mask at, you know, or pulls back the mask um, and uh, reveals his face uh, and that, you know, he is the king of Wakanda. Um, and, you know, it, it's a dramatic reveal. Um, and so, you know, Doom is not about to be out-dramaed uh, in his home country. So he removes his faceplate uh, because Chala, he doesn't, he challenges Doom saying, you know, uh, I uh, last time I saw who I thought was Dr. Doom, uh, it was an automaton. Um, and so Doom removes the mask and reveals his scarred face. Uh, he says, I assure you, you have the honor of being in the presence of the one true Doom. Um, and Tree looks kind of horrified. Oh, yeah. 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 You get a glimpse of of how damaged his face is. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, it, it's uh, you. You understand her reaction. Right. Uh, so. What we have here is, again, a kind of classic diplomatic confrontation. They are just having a conversation. The Black Panther knows that Doom wants to rule the planet. Which which Doom does not deny. Not deny, no. He's like, uh, yeah. Uh, And there's the question of like, okay, so what do you want from me? We We have vibranium, we have resources. What do you really want here? Uh, Yeah. And uh, he tosses the the uh, the head of Doombot of the blown up Doombot onto the table in a very very like here's here is the skull kind of way. Yes, yes, absolutely. Uh, and 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 just before he does that, we get a very brief interlude uh, at the cozy campus coffee shop yes. uh, introduced uh, in the uh, Lee and Ramita era. Spider-Man, uh, yeah. I believe. And uh, so it, it's a uh, Wyatt Wingfoot hanging out with uh, a character who I don't think you could call a character these days, Whitey Mullins. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, so ri- rival uh, footballman um, for State University. Um, and uh, this, the one uh, interesting bit about this scene is I think it, this places it exactly in continuity um, because Wyatt uh, is, is talking about, um, you know, it's like, oh, that's 
uh, King Chala, uh, who almost took out the Fantastic Four when I went to Africa with them yeah. uh, just a little while ago. And then, um, you know, Mullins is, you know, is just like, OK, whatever. Uh, but then um, uh, Wyatt does say, you know, he's like, oh, he's got all this technology that, you know, even Professor Richards uh, was in awe of. <laughs> he says there was this vehicle called a gyro cruiser that and, and that is the thing that appears at the very beginning of the storyline where the fantastic four go to Latveria. So we know this takes place slightly after that. Okay. Um, if that's where it is uh, in time. So, um, so a nice little bit of uh, figuring out exactly where this fits into continuity um, okay. for all you uh, continuity nerds out there, which I assume is all of us. I don't know. <laughs> to some extent, in some way, we all like stories to make sense. We yes. Just, some of us, police it more dramatically than others. <laughs> but it turns out that what Doom wants to know is why did you bring the Fantastic Four to Wakanda? Yeah. And you know, why the Fantastic Four? Why not the Avengers? Uh, why <laughs> why Richards? Why the yeah. accursed well, Richards? And, and that is the subtext here is, is, I mean, he asked about the Fantastic Four. He asked about the Avengers. But really, it seems like what he's saying is, why not me? Yeah, and uh, and what was up with Wyatt Wingfoot, uh, you know, <laughs> undermining your plans? Right. Um, in the meantime, Doom is opening up a glowing cauldron, tasting something from it, and then serving it to the Black Panther for dinner. Yes, and uh, it is a recipe. Yes. Uh, uh, from his mother, uh, yes. from Doom's own mother. Yes. Um, and, and the the fact that it is, uh, you know, being prepared in what looks like, I mean, it basically looks like a witch's cauldron. Um, yeah. So uh, may, is this something that, you know, uh, that Doom's mother herself used for, uh, let's say, you know, non-cooking uh, purposes? Well, he definitely had access to her recipes. There, There's a Fantastic Four special, like, way down the line that I believe Dwayne McDuffie wrote, mm. where a number of uh, his mother's recipes are named. Ah, so, excellent. So he's, he's, he's very into Cynthia Von Doom style cuisine. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> while this is going on, uh, Shuri is getting the grand tour with the Doombot and uh, flying over Cynthia Von Doom Park. Mm -hmm. And the Doombot says beautifully, her thirst for knowledge and the scientific acumen of Doom's father made Doom who he is today. That's uh, one way to put it. It sure is. It's, it's <laughs> not wrong. It is not wrong. And I mean, that is a thing, uh, as we see later on in the story, that uh, Doom is not a liar. Yeah. Um, he will, everything he says will be technically, factually accurate. Uh, but he does make the point that Doom is a ruler, not a king. Yes. Yes. Uh, and, and this, I mean, Doom is a revolutionary. Like yeah. I, I said earlier, I mean, he, he, he overthrew uh, the monarchy that ruled Latveria. Uh, you know, he, he draws a, a very clear and distinct line. I mean, even if it's a distinction without a difference, really, um, he does not fancy himself a king. Yeah. Uh, this is where we find out that Shuri has her own agenda. She kind of breaks away from the Doombot, and what she's doing is actually messing up the Latverian databanks. Uh, and their their information on exactly what exactly where Latveria is and exactly where its resources are. Yes, but well, that's and, what she's trying to do. 
Right, exactly. And, and you know, here we see another, you know, one-upsmanship, uh, you know, Doom had hacked Wakanda's counter-frequencies so that he was able to teleport the Doombot into Chala's throne room. Uh, so Chala is responding by hacking the Doombot's AI protocols so that uh, for a, a time, Shuri is invisible to them. Right. Yeah. Because Latvian technology can do whatever the story needs it to do. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> So we're, we're back at the uh, dining hall where Doom is explaining that uh, the recipe is his mother's um, and explains that his mother's soul burns in hell after chasing magics to change her lot in life. Her cruel fate is why Doom seeks dominance over all. Now, this is mentioned here. It's also actually mentioned, I believe, in World's Greatest Comics magazine that this is why Doom has been chasing power. Right. It has not come up yet in the comics that were actually published by 1970. Yes, this is the so in in continuity. This yeah. would be the first time Doom is admitting this to anyone. Yeah, exactly. Uh, or admitting it on panel, right? Uh, and uh, and of course, Chala again with the one-upsmanship. Doom, you know, tells this you know this the story of his mother um, and and her doomed soul burning in hell. Chala immediately follows up with a sad story about his mom. Mm -hmm. I never knew my mother. She died soon after I was born. My father perished in defense of Wakanda. So not only did my mom die, my dad did too. <laughs> and, and Doom then one-ups with that. Ally with Doom and together we will free our parents from death's cold grasp. Yes. That's a promise. <laughs> I love these guys. They're great. Yeah. Uh, and Chala responds with, it is not my wish to pervert the natural order of things. Yeah. Oh, uh, so Doom changes the subject with a bah and explains that uh, he's got an, another beverage, like a, another, like he's got so many beverages. Uh, this is a beverage <laughs> that quote, comes from a native berry that was extinct for years until Doom used magic and science to resurrect it. Only Doom himself has ever tasted it. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and this is definitely we are meant to uh, be suspicious of this, uh, yeah. and and Chala also he, he takes this as a challenge. You know, yeah. it, I mean, Doom is is testing Chala, saying, you know, basically implying it's like, are you are you man enough uh, to accept this drink uh, that I'm giving you, uh, which has, as Chala says, it does have a rather unique flavor. Um, yes. So yeah, we're meant to assume it's like, well, maybe he's poisoning him right here. Um, right. And, uh, you know, and, and at this point, uh, we also see Chala put the mask back up. So, yeah, yeah uh, he, he's readying for some trouble. And Doom finally gets to his real point, which is not about Richards. It's like, look, you have all this technology. Why haven't you conquered the planet yet? Yeah. And Chala basically says, like, we couldn't, but also we wouldn't want to. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we are not interventionists we are not going to be establishing an intergalactic empire within a decade or so of this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, you know, and couches it uh, in, in terms of, you know, it's like, well, you know, we, we saw other powers do this all across Africa um, and we are not going to be that. Um, yeah. And Doom is incredulous. He's like, well, but why wouldn't you, which is what makes Chala go like, you know what? No vibranium for you. Yeah, we're done here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and uh, he uh, then Doom starts making the threats, you know. Uh, when Doom wishes to improve your little realm's lot in the world, he will offer thanks on your knees. Yeah. 
uh, whereupon the Black Panther gets the, the signal, mm -hmm. jumps out of Doom's window. Doom loses more money on windows. He does. Yeah. Um, it, I mean, it's... <laughs> between the mirrors he has to replace from smashing them all the time and the windows he has to replace from people jumping through them all the time. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, boy, it's it's got to be a, a good living if you're a glazier in uh, Latveria, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it's a trade. Uh, <laughs> there's a, another fight against uh, some Doombots. And uh, there's a brief fight, which is then called off by Doom, as usual, saying, OK, this fight's beneath me. We're done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Doom is, you know, he... he if he's not going to get vibranium, if he's not going to have an alliance uh, with Wakanda and with Chala, uh, he's at least, you know, his fallback plan is, well, I'm, I'm going to destabilize Wakanda uh, through suspicion. Um, and, you know, he's, he's very transparent about, you know, how his spy network was able to do what he did. Um, and, uh, you know, and that leaves Chala with something to think about uh, going forward. Chala also points out to his sister that the drink was not poison. It was not a magical potion. It was just terrible. <laughs> yes. The worst after dinner drink in all of Europe. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I know he's the Black Panther, but that is a little catty. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very grateful that, that they managed to uh, work in a one panel illustration of the Doom time platform um, uh, right toward the end of the story. Yeah. Uh, maybe one of the greatest uh early Kirby visuals uh, in all of comics. Uh, I just love that, that the two-dimensional platform uh, intersecting a three-dimensional object to transport it through four dimensions. It's so good. Yeah, that's yeah. We, we talked about that a few weeks ago in the episode with, uh, with Laura Hudson. That, that's just, just an extraordinary thing. We also uh, get to see Doom talking once again about his mother's soul, and we see it's definitely Mephisto. Yes. Yep. That that is uh, that's also very early in continuity, right? We haven't gotten to that yet in Marvel by the month. We have not. Not only have we not gotten to it, but initially it's just the devil. Ah. He fights the devil. Like there's an aimless devil. It's not established as Mephisto until an issue of What If in 1980. Really? That yeah. late? Huh. Interesting. And then after that, it's always Mephisto. He uh, he's a great bad guy. So we've got three monarchs in the story. What, yes. what, what do you make of, of the three of them together? Yeah, uh, I, I mean, it is really fascinating reading these two issues juxtaposed. I mean, you know, so they came out, you know, what, 30 years apart from each other. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, I also think it's, it's interesting looking at them at this, this particular moment in history, if we can kind of like, you know, get a little macro about it, but I mean, you know, there's, we are living through times right now when, um, you know, there's real concern about whether or not democracy and democratic rule um, is, is starting to give way to autocracy. You know, I mean, it, it feels like it's in a, a bit of a fragile state and I find it's really, it was really interesting to see, you know, essentially here are three different views of how, you know, autocracy works in, Marvel comics, you know, okay. you, you've got, you've got doom who is the cautionary tale. You know, he is right. the, uh, you know, the, the, the despot, uh, the world conqueror, um, you know, uh, everything, you know, behaves according to his whims. Um, and he has no loyalty to anyone but himself. I mean, he says here, the reason he's doing all of this is, is to save his mother or his right. mother's soul, you know, I mean, and whether or not you completely buy that, you know, it is, 
you know, it, it's revealing about, you know, he, he thinks that, well, it's, it's a noble reason, but it, it, it's solely for doom. You know, he, he's, it, it's a very selfish reason. Then you've got, you know, Namor who, you know, has a moral code uh, and is generally, you know, I, I think he's, he's sort of defined against whoever else happens to be in the story. So, great. you know, uh, you know, he, he's, he's a great in-betweener character, you know, often the hero off, you know, sometimes the villain, uh, but um, you know, he's also, he's headstrong, he's impulsive. Um, and, you know, again, you're sort of at the, the whim of, you know, the, this singular person uh, and, and what he chooses to do. He's chaotic neutral. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Uh, and then you have, uh, you have Chala who, you know, he, he's every bit uh, as, as autocratic as, uh, as, as the other two. I mean, earlier in, um, in, in this series, you know, he, he, it's shown that he made the decision to reveal Wakanda's presence to the world without consulting with the Wakandan council, um, who in fact is not happy with this decision and is, you know, starting to plot behind his back, but you know, he has, he has absolute power. He's an absolute monarch. So, you know, but he also has a a moral code and, and he has the best of intentions and, you know, we'll see what those paved the road to. Um, but you know, I, I just, I thought it was very interesting to just see those, those three takes, um, you know, with, with the, the, the era that we're living through right now. Yeah. And in fact, you know, Ta-Nehisi Coates is run on black Panther, which he was a consultant on, uh, on this miniseries. The first year or so of it is very much about the question of, all right, what's democracy for? And why would the most advanced society in, in the world be a monarchy? Yeah. What are we going to do about that? So yep. It's real smart. Um, fantastic. Thank you so much for uh, coming to be on the show. Um, please tune into Marvel on the Month, where I guess you'll be getting back to the Submariner story, at least uh, fairly soon, in a few weeks, or at least that month. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, we should be coming right up on it. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it, Submariner is a really interesting story right now uh, in um, in where we're at in Marvel by the month. Uh, I, I was, I was glad to see him uh, out of the water. Uh, we spent a lot of time in the water lately, uh, a lot of time chasing serpent crowns. Um, and uh, you know, it, it's, it's funny. You can kind of see Roy Thomas working through some stuff that will show up in Conan later, but he's so separate from the rest of the Marvel universe in his own title. You, you rarely see any sort of, you know, other Marvel characters crossing over. So it was great to, uh, to see him, you know, out of the water and interacting with, you know, one of my very favorite Marvel characters uh, in, in the entire pantheon. So um yeah. Uh, but yeah, it, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun to read these things. Um, and, uh, it's always a pleasure, you know, to, uh, have you on the show, uh, since you have an idea where all this stuff is going. Brian Stratton, thank you so much again. And I'm looking forward to seeing where it takes you too. Next week, Greg Matasevich joins me to talk about the 2001 miniseries, Fantastic Four, the world's greatest comics magazine. Meanwhile, if you've got questions about anything having to do with Dr. Doom, this show, or Latverian culture in general that you'd like us to answer, the address to email them to is faithfulretainerboris at voiceoflatveria.com. The Voice of Latveria podcast is made possible by the patronage of listeners like you. If you support us through patreon.com slash douglaswalk, you'll get access to our private book club and discussion board for Marvel Nerds, the 616 Society. 
You can find out more about this podcast on our website, voiceoflatveria.com, and follow us on Twitter. This is Douglas Walk for the VOL. Douglas Walk appears by special arrangement with Universe 1218. His book, All of the Marvels, is a guided tour of 60 years and half a million pages of the Marvel Comics story. All of the Marvels will be published by Penguin Press this October. Lord Doom commands you to order it. Zero, two, one. This is the voice of Latveria. Zero, two, one. Tomorrow, on Adventures into Fear, the strange case of Roderick Krupp. The tall pallid man known as Digger, first made his name as a teller of terrifying tales, initially competing with and soon joining forces with Headstone P. Gravely. Before long though, Krupp's fortunes shifted. He was found to have adapted some of his signature stories, like The Face of Fear and The Terrible Old Man, from earlier sources. Soon, the likes of Groovy Gary took Krupp's place, as rumors spread that he was involved in unsavory activities. Krupp went on a spree of burying people alive, until he was apprehended by Spider-Woman, and eventually converted his former home base, the Tower of Shadows, into a headquarters for a gang of macabre-costumed criminals, the Night Shift. That's Adventures into Fear, tomorrow on the VOL, this concludes our broadcast day. May Doom's terrifying face inspire you to devotedly implement his policies, until you die. (laughs) 